Testing, testing, yes, Yeah, you got me. We're back. Right. So, um, those who have listened to the podcast for a long time, um, <laughs> there aren't many. Um, those that have will remember that many, many years ago, we used to have time to do extra podcasts. <laughs> oh, those heady yeah. days. Heady days. Yeah. On bizarre themes that came to mind as an excuse to review really old albums rather than really new albums. Um, anyway, because of what's going on at the moment and because there's been quite a lot of things going on about 2020 and people looking back and posting pictures themselves when they were 20 online and various social media kind of things, we kind of thought, hey, we can do something like that. How about we pick three albums each from the <laughs> year when we were 20 and we review those. So, excellent. That's what we've done. Um, what a wonderful idea. Indeed. So, we will be reviewing albums, and I'm sure you'll be pleased to hear. So, we're reviewing albums from the years of 1989 and the years of 1997. So, you'll be hearing reviews of the albums and discussions of the albums are as follows. Todd Rundgren, Nearly Human, Faith No More, The Real Thing, Indigo Girls, Indigo Girls, Depot Mode Ultra, Pulp, This Is Hardcore, and The Prodigy, Fat of the Land. <laughs> because I'm the old person amongst the group, <laughs> we should be starting in the fine year of 1989. Um, however, because I was trying to make this interesting, I avoided choosing Pixies do little Tim Machine, Tim Machine, or uh, Pretty Hate Machine, which could quite easily have been my three choices. Three mighty records. Um, but a bit kind of, eh, well, you know. I was about to say everyone likes them, but as we've had the discussion before, lots of people really don't like Tim Machine, Tim Machine. Well, we've had that discussion. Indeed. Um, and In fact, you know how it definitely a thing. I would have definitely gone down the easy route of Pretty Hate Machine, as has been proven by my three choices. <laughs> you said that, Pete. I, I, would not, I would not have said that, Pete. You've said that. Mm. Well, I'm just glad at the top, I'm just glad we did it this way round. And we didn't go with the other social media craze of, um, of trying to listen to 20 records. <laughs> <laughs> Ten each. <laughs> well, yeah, indeed. Okay. We start off uh, with Todd Rundgren, Nearly Human. Again, listeners probably won't be surprised I've picked the Todd Rundgren album. Um, I actually wasn't going to, and I was trying to find another album that I could choose instead, instead of it, but, you know, this is definitely one that I know that I haven't made you listen to before, so I thought, fuck it, let's go for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is uh, actually an interesting one to pick as well, because it was... Uh, the last album that uh, Todd made on a major record label, it was on Warner Brothers at the time, uh, was dropped after this album. Um, surprisingly, it was uh, an album that got reviewed quite positively at the time um, and actually produced uh, Todd's last uh, US hit record, hit single, uh, which was the lead track, Want of a Nail, which features Boy Womack on uh, vocals as well. Um and I, have to admit, I mean, obviously I've listened to this album multiple times over the years, but 
listening to it again, thinking back to how I felt about the album then and re-listening now, I genuinely still do think it's hard to believe this record wasn't more successful than it was because it's, you know, for me, it's a, just a well-polished, well-crafted set of white soul songs. Um, the current version uh, that we're reviewing today is based on the CD version as opposed to the original vinyl version, so therefore it also includes the cover of Elvis Costello's Two Little Hitlers, which wasn't on the original vinyl, which meant that the first time I listened to this to again the other day, uh, it freaked me out totally because it fucked up the running order. And it's like, what? <laughs> Where's this song coming from? This song isn't this song isn't here on this album. What's 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 Alexa doing? Uh, um It's not that it's a bad song, don't get wrong, I think it's a very good cover. Um but when you, you as as you'll know yourself and there are several albums. Uh, I think the problem with reviewing any album these days, when you go back to older albums, is quite often you get you end up with the CD version, which, if you originally bought album versions, suddenly becomes different and has extra songs on that weren't there and various bits, which we'll come to later. Anyway, um, for me, this album was... Uh, Possibly Todd at his most commercial, I would say. Um, and that's not just because he was on Warner Brothers at the time, but I think that's just the way he was going with the sound he was looking for. Uh, had a band made up of mem- ex-members of the Tubes and Bourgeois Tag, both bands that he had produced, um, coming into this record. I just genuinely just think it's, it's just a lovely, lovely white soul record as i said at the start the first, the first half of the album so uh tracks one to five so one to play on to can't stop running is the slightly more i suppose pop rocky side of things uh well to ask me probably and love children but the second half when you've got fidelity feel it which is originally a song he wrote with the tubes for the tubes which appeared on their love bomb album hawking and i love my life are very much straight in the white soul category of the kind of thing that you'd expect Hall Notes to do and bands like that. Um, Feel It itself, as I've spoken about that, I think is one of uh, the best songs on the, on, the, on, the, on the record. It was a lovely song when he wrote it with the Tubes. I think it's even better on this. It's just a really, really, really moving, uplifting tune from a purely kind of a pop-tastic point of view you can see why the wonderful day on was a hit um and it's not just because bobby womack singing on it although it does help the bobby womack singing on it but it's just you know we all know the kind of thing of for the want of a nail uh and the favorite track on the album when i first bought the record was waiting game still the waiting game still think this is just just a beautiful beautiful uh, ballad um it's just a you know it's a solid album but a solid album in, in a really good way solid album um and it's still yeah, it's, uh, and it still annoys me that it that it, it it's it's when you kind of go through the tracks for me you go get the tracks and you're thinking I can imagine most of the songs in this album being hits if they'd been recorded by other people at the time. And that that's the kind of 
thing that I always found frustrating about quite a few of Todd albums, but this one in particular, because this was genuinely possibly the most commercial he's ever been across a, a full album. And whether it was the record company not getting behind it enough or other things, I don't know. But there are lots of potential hits on this record that never got the chance to be hits in my humble opinion. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> it's another Todd album you've made me listen to. <laughs> um, they're all different. <laughs> they are all different. And, and you know what? This album, even within itself, is all different. Um, he, but he, I have to say, uh, yeah, I think you're, you're probably wearing me down gradually because um, the, mo- the more I listen to uh, Todd Rundgren albums, the more I, I really start to appreciate his crisscrossing of genres. Uh, every opportunity um and whilst m- most of this album is is a great white soul uh album and, and, and you know you know some of the more commercially sounding tracks are classic sort of transatlantic 1980s hits you know what i mean yes um they're the sort of the, the want of a nail and, and can't stop running um being prime examples of that sort of commercial sound um, but then in other tracks, there's there's also a reflection of perhaps some of the, the more of the new wave that was ha- happening across this side of the pond a few years before. Um, Two Little Hitlers and um, and I really liked the, the intro to um, Unloved Children, which obviously had that sort of almost a hint of disco about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it had that sort of the bass from like Boogie Nights, don't 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 don't, underneath it, you know, Boogie Nights. Um, Great song. So I, I, it's 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 the usual madness is what I've written at the top of my notes. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, but I mean that in a good way. <laughs> no, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed this one. Um, I perhaps enjoyed it more than some of his more recent ones. No, no, actually, I've enjoyed the recent ones. It's it's the ones in between that I haven't quite managed yet. <laughs> <laughs> there's still time, Pete. When yeah, do, there's still time, I'm sure. Yeah, when we do 40-40. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, moving on to my second choice, and uh, obviously moving up a, uh, uh, a couple of notches on the... Uh, this one goes up to 11, kind of... Uh, decibel level uh we have faith no more the real thing uh this is the third album from faith no more and for me it still remains the career defining album from faith no more this was their first album with mike Patton on vocals following the departure of uh chuck mosley who had sang on their first two albums um the first two albums they were still very much for me at least chili peppers light um and whilst on this album you have um, particularly the song like Epic, which still has that Chili Peppers vibe, particularly in the vocal and delivery mm-hmm. style, um, this was also kind Epic, particularly was kind of a revisit of uh, the song We Care A Lot um, that Chuck Mosley sang on on the, I think, the second Faith No More album. Um, but what I liked about this album was... This was them taking the record heavier, 
but at the same mm. time, but at the same time, it was a record that also had that feeling of, you know what, let's just throw the kitchen sink into to this and make rock interesting again. Um, yeah, you know. So this is almost one of the first, I suppose, of the new wave of alt metal kind of thing. Um, if, you, if, if you like that kind of thing of thinking, what do we do? What do we do? We've, we've had we've had people uh, do this, this, and this, but how do we make something people people stand up and listen? Um, how we did that is by having from out of nowhere as the opening track on the album, as far as I was concerned. Um, this became a go-to indie disco headbanger, literally for uh, Spencer uh, uh, and I, a friend of podcast. Um, we had a DJ, DJ friend who uh, used to do a night on a Thursday night at uh, and anytime I played this, we would be up. You know, just this, the power and the passion of the opening bars of this song. Still made me wish I had hair to be able to do old fashioned head banging along to it. <laughs> you know, literally every time that this, this, this song starts, I'm going, oh, Yes, I'm back to being my 20 year old self. Literally every yeah. time. Um, but yeah, but what I also like about the album is it, it, it embraces funk, funk rock rap on songs like Epic, um, Falling to Pieces. In the zombie, just to a certain extent, the title track is a kind of rock epic. Um, you've got some classic guitar and classic on guitar on, on zombie eaters. You've got outright metal on uh, from out of nowhere, and particularly surprise you're dead, which has always been a, a favourite of mine and one that I've often threatened to have played at my funeral. Um, simply because why wouldn't you? It'd be funny. Um, and the sound, sound-wise of the album, it's the centre of the record is is the bass playing. So the, you get this fuzzy, distorted bass sits front and centre of the whole sound of the album, um, which means when played very loud, sorry, neighbours, this album still rocks, really rocks. Um, back to what I said on the previous record, uh, the Warpigs cover an end, Edge of the World, uh, which are now on the list of what was on the original CD and sometimes appear on the original CD were not on the original vinyl version. The album ended uh, with Woodpecker from, Woodpecker from Mars Instrumental. However, I do like that cover of Sabbath's War Pigs. Um, and they're a band that, from this point on, went on to record some good albums and some very, very great tracks. But for me this was the one time where it all came together and they made their one fully coherent album. And yeah, listen to it again, listen to it again today, this afternoon. Uh, I was thinking, you know what? This is a bloody good record. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, at that point you made about coherence, um, it really it surprised me how much I like this now, mm. uh, you know, and having heard, oh, well, you know, going back years, years, um, having listened to it probably years ago as an album, but actually then sort of hearing the odd track now and then, as you say, in the indie disco somewhere, um, epic is still epic. Yeah. Uh, in, my, in my opinion. 
Um, but there are other tracks like The Morning After, um, which is, you know, it's still, still rocks, still good rocks for me. Yeah. Uh, and The Real Thing. Um, Surprise You're Dead, I, I enjoyed this time. It was very good. Um, I, I, uh, for me, it's that it's that freshness again. It's that coherence. Um, it, it it actually sounds, you know, for an album that's uh, sorry, Scott, <laughs> over thirty years old. Um, it, it sounds very fresh. It still sounds very current, and probably more so now. And again, maybe perhaps this is testament to to the impact it's had o- over the decades. Uh, that 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 sort of freshness has endured because. Again, so the, the you know the, the influences ripple out uh, from it. Yeah, and I really 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 enjoyed it. Really think it's a really tight album as well. And, you know, they did go on to do other stuff. Of course, they did. Uh, but that sort of freshness is it's complete here. You are correct. Of course, I am. <laughs> and my final choice. Uh... Just to go off on another bizarre musical sideline, is to go kind of folky pop, <laughs> and uh, the second album from the Indigo Girls, uh, all the Indigo Girls. Um, this one is again interesting for me because I, I discovered this band um, and this album uh, on the third of November, nineteen eighty-nine, when myself, Spencer, Jason. Joe and I think Lucy as well. Uh, whilst we were at University in Swansea, went off to the Newport Centre to see the Ten Thousand Maniacs in concert. Who at the time were touring their Blind Man Zoo album, and the Indigo Girls, Emmy uh, Ray and Emily Salia, uh, were support act, and we were all blown away by them as a support act. Spence, Joe, and I immediately went out and bought the album, pretty much. Um, and really listening to this album this week reminded me just why, really. Um, from the infectious kind of foot-tapping acoustic riff of Close to Find at the start to the gentle reminiscence of a relationship um, at the history of us at the end of the record, this is just a really, really lovely record. Um, for me, the first half is pretty faultless, second half not far off it. Um, the strength in the record for me is the combination of well-crafted songs, which always helps in the rec- on any record, and the vocal harmonies. I've always, from the first time I saw them live, to even listen to it again now, the blend of Ray and Sally's vocals, I think, is marvellous. The sound of the album is is great as well. Uh, it was produced by uh, Scott Litt, who uh, they'd got involved with because they'd known that he'd produced the R.E.M. album and they'd toured with R.E.M., um, who also appear on the album. In fact, Michael Stipe adds his vocal talents uh, yeah. to the song Kid Fears. Ah, yeah. The track on the album. Um, amusingly, the album also features the Hot Ass Flowers, uh, who had just finished recording their debut album People at the time and then ended up also providing musicianship on this record. Um, and also from a 
ping point of view, Kazim Sultan, uh, Todd's go-to bass man, also appearance <laughs> on the song Land of Canaan, uh, which in fact I had totally forgotten about until I was uh, uh, catching up on this road again. Um, yeah, it's just... When I, when I saw the track listing again, when I, kind of, I, I pulled it out a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking, oh, yeah. And I remembered I could, I could like, hum most of the first half of the album. And the second half of the album, I was thinking, oh, yeah, I can, I can hum a bit of Love's Recovery, maybe a bit of Land of Caden. I couldn't remember Center Stage or History of Us at all. And I was thinking, oh, maybe that's because they're crap. And then I kind of listened to it again, I was thinking, actually, no. They're, they're, they're far from it. In fact, History of Us, I think, at the end of the album is is just a just really, really beautiful song. Um, yeah. But the album is, is split between toe tapper stuff, so close to fine and uh, uh, Love's Recovery, probably true. Ooh, I've got some feedback. Nope. It's interesting because the feedback is not meant to be feedbacking. All right. However, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, um, uh, Prince of Darkness. Um, I love this. There's a line in Prince of Darkness. I, I did write this one down somewhere because I don't know when I noticed life was life at my expense. The words of my heart lined up like prisoners on a fence. The dreams came in like needy children tugging at my sleeve. I said, I have no way of feeding you, so leave. Um, what I just think is just kind of sums up the kind of, the kind of whole feel of the song. And the lyrics, I mean, obviously we're, we're a big fan of lyrics to, between us generally. Um, and in fact, our, our, lost, our, lost, our last podcast featured several albums with very good lyrics. But I think it's another strength of this, of this record. I think the lyrics are... Really, really interesting. Really, really good. Kid Fears, the one I said that Michael Stipe appears on, for example, is that kind of song about growing up and being in a place where people know, kind of people know where, where your hiding places and secrets are, and kind of wanting to go back to that kind yeah. of childhood innocence of of fears that actually aren't really fears about stuff. Um, and yes, that's it. And it's, I could waffle on. Uh, but I want to get <laughs> onto your records as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, this album stands up remarkably well for me. I, I, I was worried when I first listened to it, thinking, "Is this? Gonna st am I still going to think this is a really good record?" And the answer is, yes, I do. Uh, they've gone on to release more albums, of course, and in fact, in coincidentally, their latest album uh, is actually yeah. due out next week. So, excellent. There you go. Um, in the interests of time, I'll I'll just agree I'll just agree with what you said. I thought it was a really interesting songwriting piece. Um, you know, it's a love a lovely sounding record. Um, it again still very very timeless. I, I can see why it appeals to you when we consider some of the albums we've reviewed together. Um, why this one has sort of stuck with you? I can yes. really appreciate that. And it's definitely worth worth checking out. And I, I really I really enjoyed it as well. Okay, let's fast forward in the to of time moving forward in time uh, to a time known as nineteen ninety seven. Um, fortuitously, 
Huh? Where are you going to start? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to start at the beginning because you know, as we did this at a so based on on year twenty, um, this this album was actually released on my birthday uh, of that year, and it is uh, Depeche Mode's Ultra, which um, for those of you that uh, don't know, um, this was their follow up to the massively successful. Uh, songs of faith and devotion um but this was the first album they released um for many years as a three piece uh alan wilder the, the influential um musician some would say uh he brought as much to the the music uh, as my god did to the lyrics um in at their peak uh he had left the band um and, and famously, of course, uh, between the recording, or as this, the recording of this album began, but certainly between the, re- the release of this album and the previous album, uh, Dave Gahan, the lead singer, had famously had his um, journey to, to hell and back. Um, and the sort of tentative steps of recovery from a very serious case of uh, heroin addiction and near-fatal death um, had sort of resulted in in this sort of washed up version of Depeche Mode. I think it was an impossible ask for them to come back with something that was even reminiscent of their previous work. Uh, and yet, on reflection, they they kind of got it together. I think with this album, it's it's not the easiest of their albums to listen to. It it the fact that they've lost such a talent in Wilder that, that the fact that they're still finding, in fact, they haven't found their place as a three piece yet. I think that comes on the next album. Um, It's really acute that there is that absence. And, and again, there's that distance between the the, the recording of the album as well. You can hear Dave's, you know, mottled, fucked up vocal, um, and earlier recordings, you can hear how his voice recovers on some of the later recordings on the album. And, um, but I think it does sort of find its way back to the soul of the core of, of where Depeche Mode, uh, were heading, um, after, after the previous album, that sort of gospel infused songs of faith, the sort of soulfulness of, of this album come, comes through, um, they relied heavily, of course, on uh, Tim Shimian, um, producer, uh, Bob the Bass. Um, he sort of came in and sort of gave them, I guess, that, that, that fourth leg. And his influence across the production of the album is, is very apparent as well, the sort of very dirty sort of beats of the album, um, particularly on you know, some of the album tracks, um, those that weren't released as singles. Um, but again, the singles... Like like barrel of a gun, being the sort of broken sounding, um, dark, <laughs> uh, lyrically uh, introduction to the album. Uh, but some of the later tracks, like um, uh, useless and um, and some of the less known stuff, like free state and um, love thieves, introduce a very sort of 
different side to the band and start, start to take those tentative steps back to the light, if you will, uh, for the band. So why does this, why did I pick this? Well, I picked it because it was on my birthday, obviously. <laughs> and as, as you know, big Depeche Mode fan, it's not my favorite album of theirs by any means, but actually I do think in time it has aged fairly well. Um, a lot of the sort of, sounds they were putting down whilst it jarred for me at the time considering the the heights to which songs of faith and prior to that violator got to um i think this album jarred for me at the time because it really did feel like uh the excess suggested by the title the crashing down had occurred and it was very hard to see where they would come back from but come back they did in time and i think the sort of first steps towards that comeback are sort of laid down here musically. Indeed, the three piece that would emerge, um, having listening back to it now, you can hear it here. Yeah. Yeah. I can see where you're getting there. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and Home's nice as well. I like Home. <laughs> yeah, this is... Um... Feedback. Where feedback come from? Where feedback come through? It really annoys people. Um, Carry on. This is a really a favourite DM album for me. Although I did buy it. In fact, oddly, of the three albums you've chosen, this is the only one I actually bought, as opposed to taping the CD via taping onto tape via CD from the library I was working at at the wow. time which is what I did with, this is hard. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so I actually did buy um, Ultra. And I think, as you're saying, the, the, one of the most interesting things about this album is, 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 the, is putting it in the context of how it came about, how it came about which gives it that extra kind of... Uh, Interest, I suppose, in a way. Um, whilst it's not one of my favourite DM albums, it has to be, it does contain a couple of my favourite DM songs. So when you mentioned Barrel of a Gun, I think I think Barrel of a Gun is another in those uh, handful of classic DM hard rock songs that are not hard rock songs. Yeah. You know what I mean, um, that songs that aren't that rock, but have a, have, have a very hard rock attitude to them. Um, and has a great riff. Similarly, um, uh, Useless as well. Loved, always loved the guitar riff and, and Useless and yeah. it. Just brilliant. Also has possibly my favourite Martin singing one of his own songs, songs as you mentioned at <laughs> home. Um, because we always have that, that, I mean, we've had this discussion before as well, you always have that really, that, 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 the, the great irony of a man that, particularly at this time as well, was still writing oh, all yeah. the songs yeah. for the band. And then, and then he, would, he would sing one song on the album, and people would go, yeah, that song's a bit <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, he wrote them all, though. He's like, yeah, I know, but why is he singing yeah. the shit one? It's like, uh. Whereas Home is, for me, one of the standout tracks yeah. on this record. Um, Still yeah. now. Uh, and it's no good. It was a single yeah. as well. You know, it, it's, a, it's a crack. Yeah. Great yeah. live. I forgot, I forgot to mention it. I, I always I always thought that was um, 
it has it has something a bit Bondian underneath it if you listen carefully. Well, I think Love Thieves is like that. Love Love Thieves always reminds yeah. me of Bond. So um, I I think it, it yeah it's not if you're a casual fan it's it's not the greatest of their albums if you're a fan of the band you know the history you know the context then i think it still it does sound really good it has worn well um so yeah that's that's my first pick uh from from what turned out to be uh, a good year <laughs> for me picking music that is depressing um <laughs> It was strictly speaking of 97 to 98. It is, yeah. Because because I I didn't make this clear at the start, actually. I should should have done. What I was saying in 2020, we decided to go for the year of our birthday. For me, since I'm born literally on the final day of the year, it meant the the entire following year, January to December 31st. For you, it meant from April 15th of 97 to April 14th of 98. So... um, Whizzing through that year, uh, we get to the summer, and uh, my summer that year uh, was not about Be Here Now by Oasis, which was rubbish. Um, it was about uh, The Fat of the Land by The Prodigy. Um, this was another album that was a long time coming. Um, when you consider that Firestarter, perhaps the most notable, famous track off the album, one of their biggest hits, one of the best known of their songs of all time, um, mm. was released in November 96, I think. Uh, and you sort of scale through to, um, to um, um, the fact the fact of the land making its appearance in, uh, I think it was June, July of that year. I've clearly done yeah. my research. Uh, <laughs> And it was such um, a, actually no, it was March of '96 was Firestarter. Uh, it was it was Breathe, the second song, which was November, um, and again, so a huge gap between that being released and the album in in June of '97. And again, this was an album that felt like it'd been just dating for a long time. But when it when it finally arrived, it just pulled all the pieces together. The sort of promise of that sort of melting pot of, of um, electronica, techno, um, industrial rock that had been sort of alluded to by um, music for the Jilted Generation several years before, it all sort of landed. I think it landed in a complete package. I think this still is their standout album. Um, and, yes. and it was that sort of this was really was the, the the phase of their career when they were having all the hits well on those you know they were sparingly coming and big caps in between as we've just said but this is when the hits did land and you had Firestarter, you had breathe you had i mean it was controversial then it would probably never get played now um smack my bitch up which opens the album and was released as a single with a i don't even remember the excellent video which sort of turned the title on yes. its head um, kids, look it up on YouTube. Um, and the album, even the filler in between, there's no filler. You have tracks like um, uh, Minefields and Narayan featuring Crispin Mills, who obviously was riding high at the time with his own band. 
Um, and and the way that that just sort of bleeds into Firestarter, and then out of that you have Climatize. Um, it's it's a it's a it, the, the album just builds up superbly to to that Firestarter. You know, it takes Firestarter, which has obviously been around and in the public for a long time, and it sort of reinvented it and sort of put it at the cornerstone of this this album. But it actually takes you on a journey before you get there. You go through Diesel Power. Um, you go through funky shit, which is sort of more of the EDM, more of the sort of what the prodigy was perhaps known for before, uh, before you get to the rock um, and the punk of, of of the other parts of the album. I thought for me at the time, this this was this was my summer of my seven. This was um, a culmination, I think, of several genres that that I was heavily into and influenced by at the time. Um, it's 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 complete it's a complete album for me at that time. Now looking back on it, yeah. um do I still enjoy it as much? I still think it's their best album. Um it is still a great album. I agree, totally. you know, uh, I think it this was a very I've made I've made I've made jokes about that on their previous yeah. on their subsequent albums. It, it, it's been a, a lot it's been a very difficult um you know, it's been a very difficult journey. <laughs> as a fan since, um, you know, the next album proper, um, didn't come from several years. And when it did, it was, it was disappointing. I think it's only in the sort of really recent, the last five to 10 years, gosh, we're going back 10 years now, aren't we to invaders must die. Um, that we've, that, you know, it sort of took a long time to sort of come back from that. And I guess it's all the more poignant now, of course, with the, with the passing, uh, Keith Flint last year to actually go back and listen to this at his peak, as the vocalist and, and thinking about, you know, thinking about him as well and thinking about them as a band and particularly uh, the talent of Liam Howler. And I, I don't know what will happen now with the Prodigy, but I do hope that they are able to come back um, in some shape or form. But unfortunately, I don't think it'll ever surpass this album, which was fantastic. A classic of the 90s. Indeed. Indeed. I, I think this was... One of those kind of um, zeitgeisty albums, really, wasn't it? Um, a kind of gateway music drug to bring the rock and metal audience into the dance scene. I always thought at the time. Um, we'd always had that. We'd already had the bridge, bridge from rock to rap, um, established by the likes of Run DMC, Public Enemy, mm. Beastie Boys, um, who, of course. Coincidentally, um, uh, two members of Beastie Boys co-wrote "Funky Shit" yeah. Uh, yeah, with yeah. Liam Howlett on this album, um, and so, so particularly for that whole kind of metal attracting metal heads um, vibe, "Breathe," "Firestarter," "Serial Thriller" definitely all fell into that kind of box of yeah. going look. You can do rock and make it a bit dancey too, and it's not a total sellout. It's still quite fun, you know. It's yeah, it's alright. Um, I like all those songs because they're because they they're all great. But for me, I, I always had softer spots for other tracks on the album. So always had a soft spot for Mind Feel, yeah. which you mentioned earlier on. Always really really liked. Um, Nara Narayan. Um, Again, surprisingly, always light. Although I think I always liked that 
Um, possibly more because it sounded a bit more like yeah. orbital. You have that kind of microfield influence orbit that orbital took on, kind of synth rift going on in it. Um, and also, I think um, climatize also has that kind of same orbital thing going on as well. But with Nyaran, it's quite interesting because if you think about, as you said, this was done with uh, Crispy and Cooler Shaker Mills at the time. Obviously, now it would be Noel Gallagher or Ed Sheeran <laughs> providing that particular yeah, role on this track, um, which is quite funny to think about. Obviously, Noel Gallagher, it would sound no different. Ed Sheeran perhaps would sound slightly, slightly, slightly different, but you know, Noel, they would just uh, yeah, you know, Noel's basically, Noel's basically made that record a couple of times since. <laughs> exactly. Um, <in> the last <laughs> couple of years. Yeah, I still find it quite interesting that the, 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 they still have the cover of L7's Fuel for Fire at the end of the album, which I, which always always yeah. perplexed me at the time because uh, I never, I was never sure it added anything yeah. to the original. Um, I still don't I, think it does. I, I don't get it um, even to this day. I, I didn't get it then. And I don't get it now. Um, I'd always finish acclimatize. I mean, I, I, I could take it or leave the end, which seems odd, really, when you think yeah, it's it a great a album, it's a classic album, blah, 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 blah. And then it's just like it's got this tacked on song at the end. <laughs> yeah, and that's, and that's, what, and that's what always, what, it always yeah. felt like that. But I always felt like, you know, okay, we've only got nine tracks. We've got it. Do we have we anything got, else? We yeah, we've got to finish the album, man. Oh, the good, the good old days when people had to like, tack on a, a yeah. tenth track to kind of pad out their album. Rather than now, when they just like go, no, put it all on the record. All of it. Yeah, all of it. Yeah. They want to hear all of it. No, we won't. No, we won't. <laughs> and also, as I've uh, alluded to, um, they are a band who who, who have um, since this record, as you said, which is definitely their high point, musical high point, uh, been trying to uh, remake this yeah. album again every few years for the last couple yeah. of decades. Invaders Must Die was their best attempt at trying to remake it. Um, the last album, which I've forgotten the title of already, that we reviewed a couple of years ago, um, uh, was their last pained attempt at doing it because um, it was yeah, you're just thinking. No. Yeah. No, it was um a new drum machine. No, a new drum machine. That was it. That was it. Oh, yeah. Sure. No. Sure. yeah. Well that's very apt for today, really, isn't it? They could yeah. release that now. Yeah. Because it's definitely no. a tourist at the moment. Lockdown classic. Um yes, yeah, so that was that was my um that was my summer. Um and uh it was ninety seven, I think often in my mind, it was a it was a golden year. It was a good year, uh, but as with golden but as with years. all great golden periods in uh, one's life, all the parties must come to an end, and um, and everything does come crashing down. And that period of musical history, the sort of the peak of of Britpop, um certainly can't be the, the come down from that era cannot be better symbolized i think than than by this is hardcore by pulp which really was the come down album for the 90s for me having had you know a run of great years of of music of british music of different types genres rock pop industrial whatever um for me this was um 
in March of 1998, this this very much brought a change of tone and sort of hinted at a sort of a, a, a more of a, a pre-millennial tension. I think that was a phrase from the time uh, to come. Um, yeah. And very much was different to what had gone before with that great commercial success of, of different class in... Um, Oh yeah, very, 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 very brave album musically. Yeah. Considering, considering that just that was the album that uh, you know literally yeah. made them multi-platinum out. Uh, yeah, one out of the of albums it. of all time, and they followed it up with a very much uh, an end of the party sort of come down record. But do you know what? Um, again, whilst it's you know it's clearly not not the greatest album it's one that stuck with me um and when i think about the sort of gentleness of uh and again that sort of classic jarvis cocker sort of fear feel of tracks like dishes and help the aged um in particular help the aged yeah. of course which is i think was the lead single which led, led yeah, the yeah. album um, but again, there's some great, there's some great rock in here as well. I mean, you've got, uh, um, Party Hard. Yes. And, love Party Hard. Hello uh, exactly, Bowie. Exactly. Hello Bowie. Bowie and, and Glory Days as well, which is a sort of great end of the night sort of album, uh, record, uh, as well. And I just think, I just think again, it, it sort of took took what it had done with took what they'd done with with different class and actually just took a so sort it's of, sort of grabbed the audience and said right now we have your attention we're going to give you something that's perhaps more reflective of what we've been crafting for the last 20 years exactly and here's some of the influences and here's some of the things that have shaped us um and they, i think they did it successfully as, as far as i recall this album was you know, as a, not as successful, but was very successful at the time. It was, you know, a well liked album. Um, and, yes, uh, and, and it's certainly, I, I know I have it buried away somewhere. I had to dig out, I had to dig out the, the, the Spotify version of this, which has about 20 other tracks added to it, uh, with all the B sides and remixes and stuff. Um, yeah. It's better to say they're on it. It's, 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 it's hard, it's hard these days to exactly. just find that, to, to find, to find, particularly if you bought anything, anything on vinyl, but uh, this very hard. But even 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 CD stuff, you know, kind of going, oh, this is the this is the version that they remastered two years ago that now has seventy five extra tracks on it. Thinking, what the f- what? no no no, what was the actual album? No, stop stop stop. Enough. And um, you know, it, I think again, it was just that sort of reflective, introspective reflection of, of sort of the, the the price the height and the price of fame and it did feel like when this album came um it did feel that, that a little corner of 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 british music history had just closed and that, that this was the sort of this was jarvis sort of saying well you've had a you've had a good you can imagine him saying sheffield accent i'm not going to do the accent you've had a good time um but now it's time for you to go home <laughs> yes, I agree. Um, yeah, it's. I, I remember at the time, the, uh, my, my uh, 
my brother really, really loved this record. In fact, my brother mm. probably still loves this record. Um, he certainly at the time thought it was their best work. My brother had liked them, was aware of them before they became popular, but then obviously got really into them. And this album, he, he, he just thought was sublime. Um, I was always a fa- I was always a fan of Side One of the album uh, back in the day. Was less less enamoured with Side Two at the time, so it was interesting listening to it again now, having not listened to to the certainly listened to bits of the album since, but hadn't listened to the whole album as as an album certainly for um, it's pretty about. Probably over ten years since I last listened to it, and that was probably at my brother's. Yeah. Um, yeah. What I love about the album, I still, I still think the start of it is brilliant. You, said, you mentioned dishes, quite funny song, short song. Actually, I think this is possibly the shortest song on the album actually, because it's quite, it is quite a long record. So it is that it is that classic band thing of going. Now we've roped you in because we've lots of long songs. Yes. We can, to prove we can be really interesting and kind of write songs that go on for six and seven minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and this is hardcore. The title track was was a, a long one. Yeah. Um, but one of my fa- but still one of my one of my favourite songs by the band yeah. ever. One of the, one of my favourite of theirs. Um, you could argue that the, t- the final track, the day after the revolution, was a bit self-indulgent. Well, well, yeah. If you, if, you, if you do the full version that has lots of dead sound and various other things going on, exactly. yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was I, I, I like when you look up on Wikipedia and see his and he goes, "Yes, the edited version of five minutes." So bonus track. They go, "Yeah." Then when they when they when they actually just played you the song rather than the song with the lots of dead air. Before the song yeah. restarts again later on, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 it's like, oh look, look what we can do with this new technology. It's fun, isn't it? No, it's not really. Seriously, no. stop it, stop it now. Um, yeah, I, I thought this. I thought at the time it was a brave album. I still think it was. Even looking back, I think it's. I think it's still. When you compare it to. Uh, the previous album. Was it, was it, the previous album was it called Common, Common People? The previous album. Or was it, um, different class. Different class. Sorry. Yes. I can, yeah. I, can, I, can, I can see the, the 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 cover in my head. Different class. Which was, and, this is, and you know, I'm, I'm going to mention Todd Rundgren again, but but it is that it is that kind of thing of bands that have a big success with something and then rail and then rail against it by kind of refusing to just churn out the same thing again. Because, because obviously the, the thing is record companies and various have been going, well, you just released this album. People love this sound, you know. Ka-ching, just do the same thing again until it's not ka-ching and then change. Uh, whereas lots of bands and artists... Well, I say lots. Actually, very few. But some bands and artists are going to go. You know what? No, I just you know. Now we've got people hooked in. Let's let's show them what we can do. 
which is always a, always a brave stroke, stupid thing to do, depending on your point of view. Um, I think that. I think they were very brave. I think they pulled it off. So do I. It's, they said this album sold really well. However, mm. subsequent albums didn't. So maybe, you know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe had they done, maybe had they done different, you know, different class two yeah. for this, rented some more cash then than this album, then, you know. Yeah. But then again, as we discussed, they, they spent 20 years almost to be an overnight success so fuck it friendly <laughs> fair play yeah like we've done it now we've got people, uh, i think there's a thing we've got people's attention let's play let's show people what we can do they either like it or they don't <laughs> you know we know what it's like to be a band where only a few people listen to you for several years so you know yeah be it Really. And Jarvis is still going, obviously. Obviously. You won't stop him. No. In fact, he now has a silly new name, doesn't he? Is he? Yeah, it's a recording, isn't it? Isn't it like... It is like Jarvis. Oh, okay. But it is... He started recording again and it is rather daft. Okay. <laughs> it's on six music, clearly. You know. Oh, clearly, yes. Where all the cool people are. Yeah. Right, so that's enough uh, waffling on. Um, <laughs> if you're still listening and thinking, "Christ, that was longer than normal," yeah, well, you know. That was that was that that was us. That was our own self-indulgence. Yeah, and also, you know. We only keep the half an hour thing when we're in the same room together. We can actually, like, you know, one <laughs> we're doing okay. <laughs> one for each other and shut the other person yeah. the fuck up. You know, it's like, however. <laughs> yeah. Until next time, which will be another norm- normal. I say normal. Normal. It's never normal. Another <laughs> normal ish podcast when we review six new albums, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, until then. <laughs>